group called the Benjamin Franklin Club commissioned a, a, an extensive study and a, and a book that's come out called The Power of Ideals, A Real Story of Moral Choice. And in that, they have uh, devised some very, very uh, accurate tests and assessment tools. And one of those tools they came up with is the, a quiz that is asks the question, how humble are you? And there's a, a series of questions that you work through, and it has an assessment that tells you your level of humility. And so this week, I took it. You can take it online. It's free to take. And I went through, and I worked through the, the questions, and I answer, tried to answer them as honestly as I could. And when it got done, it gave me my assessment. And the description it gave me was this. It said, my title or category is supremely humble. It said, you're always thinking of others, you understand your own place in the larger scheme of things, and you remain open-minded. And I read that, and I thought, nailed it. (laughs) Darn right, it's about time somebody recognized the superiority of my humility. (laughs) I was talking to my brother this week, and he asked what's going to be in church this week, I said, we're going to talk about humility. And he said, are you teaching? <laughs> Never really liked him. We've been working through the book of Proverbs. And I love the book of Proverbs because it pulls no punches. It shoots straight to the heart. It talks about really gutty stuff. It talks about where we live. It's not just pie in the sky stuff. It's just talk, it talks about how we use our tongue and how we relate to our spouses and just so many things that are just right there where we live. And it has a whole lot to say about this kind of issue. So I'm going to invite you. I'm going to show you all kinds of verses in the book of Proverbs. If you want a kind of an anchor point, you can turn to Proverbs 6. We're going to look at some passages there. And it's not a surprise, again, that, the, that, the, that when God says, okay, I'm going to give you wisdom for living, real life stuff, that if he meets us where we live, the whole area of our, own, of our pride and our humility comes up. And so he, he addresses a lot self-assessment and, and self-valuation. And what he, he does is he sets up these two, you could, this doesn't surprise us, he sets up two juxtaposing kind of poles on a spectrum and asks us to kind of look at where we land on that. And so on one end of the spectrum is, he uses the word pride as an overarching term. And then on the other end, it talks about humility. And God's going to say not just things about it, but why it's so significant, why it's so important to us. And so he's just going to address it straight. And he said, so, so he'll say things like, I'm almost to establish this in Proverbs 11 too, he'll say, so when pride comes, comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. You're going to see that there's attachments that happen when we live a certain kind of life, a certain kind of assessment of ourselves and, and the way we interact with our world. He's going to tell us what the consequences are. He's also going to tell us why he is so interested in where we land on that spectrum. And so he's going, he, he uses, there's this word that gets used all through it, and that is the word proud or pride. And we could say that pride is an inappropriate or an inflated level of self-assessment resulting in superiority in attitude and actions. That word pride gets used. There's a, there's a general term, kind of garden variety pride that gets used in the Bible and it says, okay, this, is, this thing is a poison. It, it's, first of all, here's a couple of things that are true. It, it is, it's inbred in us. 
you have, you've got the germ and of, of pride within you. We all do. It's part of our fallen nature. It's inbred, but it's also toxic. And it is destructive in its powers. And what we do with it is absolutely pivotal to our health emotionally and personally and interpersonally and even spiritually. So when God uses that word pride, that that umbrella term, there are actually different kinds of varieties of pride that are going to get talked about through the book of Proverbs. It's kind of like if you go to Taco Bell and you ask for a steak burrito, they'll say, well, do you want the Baja steak burrito or do you want the Fresca steak burrito? You go, and I don't even know what those differences are because they all taste the same to me, but there are different kinds of brands or different kinds of subsets. So God is, in the Proverbs, you're going to see a handful that kind of emerge more than others. That are these all expressions of pride. I'm going to give you three terms we're going to take a quick look at. One, the first one is what the, what the Proverbs are going to call haughtiness. The second one is what the Proverbs called arrogance. And the third one is what it called stubbornness. You really glad you came today? Ready yet? We'll get better. Now, those are kind of differentiated as different kinds of pride. And so just a quick look. We're going to take a quick look at some of these. So in Proverbs 6, you see this in verses 16 and 17. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. This is a poetic device that says, these are things you've got to understand. God it gets his attention because he really, really warns us about these. And we talked about three of the ones on this list have to do with the use of the tongue that we talked about last week. But just look very quickly, and you'll see that the very first one, there are six things, seven that are detestable, and the very first one is haughty eyes. Now, you're going to see something in the, in the Proverbs if you look at haughtiness. And what haughtiness is, is it's pride exhibited in the way we think or the way we feel, the way we carry ourselves. It's an internal kind of pride. And the reason the eyes get used, it says haughty eyes. You're going to see it. Haughtiness is attached to the eyes all the time because it's how we view other people. It's how we view ourselves in light of other people. You may not say anything. You might not do anything. It's a mentality. It's an attitude of pride. And so Proverbs 21, 4 says, haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked. Okay, he's shooting straight. Okay, that's sin. That's poison. That's not the way you're designed. It's not the optimal functionality. It's an air of superiority that gets carried internally based on a perceived higher level that you carry or I carry in one of many areas. We we have a perceived higher level of education or pedigree or intelligence or location where we live or sophistication about ourselves a higher level of position or of appearance or possessions or of ability or standards or accomplishments or the way we articulate ourselves we have a higher degree of that and in our own eyes the way we look at other people it's our viewpoint attitude that we have a a level that's above those around us and what that does is it affects the way we carry ourselves. There are a whole lot of people who never would say anything. They don't think they would say anything that would sound proud. But it's always going to come down to your heart, right? And in your heart, in our heart, there's something that's true about the way we perceive ourselves and how others look. And, and so what that means is it makes us a little, it tends to make us a little bit aloof. There's certain people that we just really don't find ourselves associating with. There are certain groups that we just really wouldn't be part of. There are places that we wouldn't frequent. It's kind of beneath us to shop at certain kinds of places. 
we don't know what it means when they say, I'm going to pop some tags, got $20 in my pocket, going to the thrift store. Because, you know, that's where a certain kind of person goes. And I don't need to go there. There are activities that we won't participate in. They're kind of beneath me. Now, I'm going to, all right, I'm just going to, this is, we got to say this. I'm just going to ask you to take the mask off a little bit to yourself today because this is what we're always going to do. You, you saw it in the, que- the last question. You're going to hear some stuff and you go, yeah, I know somebody like that. And they're sitting right over there. Or they're in my extended family or I have to see them at Christmas and I can't stand what, the way they carry themselves. Can I ask you, I can ask you this several times, can you hold up a mirror today all right, rather than binoculars to look at somebody else. What, I'm going to assume this, because we assume this around here, that you're screwed up. You mess up. We all are. You're, you, we say it all the time. We know your secret. You are a mess. Okay, now that you're a mess, can we just talk about how we're a mess? And there are certain groups of people that you don't hang out with because you just don't feel like they're at your level. There's certain tables in the cafeteria at school where, you know, there's a certain kind of kid that sits there and you don't hang out there. There's a certain kind of person who speaks a certain kind of way or looks a certain kind of way and they're just, they're just not your people. When the Bible talks about that, it says there's something going on inside us and it's going to call it haughtiness. It's haughty eyes, a viewpoint. Now, this is really, this one's really, really common among Christians and Christ followers. I mean, this is where we're bad. Because there's something, that, there, there's this whole thing that goes, you know, I have come, I've seen the light. I have come to know Jesus. I am a follower of his. He has changed my life. And, you know, the people who aren't, they're the way I used to be, or they're the way I've never been. And, you know, I'm just, I don't really... I want to soil myself around those kinds of people. Whether it's externally displayed or not, it's a heart condition. Do you ever look it down at somebody else because of how they compare with you? The Bible would call that being haughty. Now, we could say a whole lot more about that, but here's the second one. It's arrogance. Arrogance is pride exhibited in the way we act or the way we speak, the way we in- interact, the way we present ourselves to others or treat others. It's an, an elevating ourselves or devaluing of others through comparison or fault-finding or criticism or certain kinds of words we might use. So you, you've got passages of Scripture that talk about that. Proverbs 17, uh, 7. Let me just re- read that one for you. I think, I don't know if I have that one for you, but. Flip over there if you like. 17.7 says, Arrogant lips are unsuited to a fool. How much worse lying lips to a ruler. It's funny when it's haughty, it's haughty eyes and it's arrogant lips, you'll see. It's kind of how we, what we say to people. We, we, um, we do some, some mocking. We do some boasting. There's a scene out of Parks and Rec where the, somebody's being honored and somebody's introducing them. And this, see, take a look at, at what this looks like.
That is me, Tom Abbott, owner and proprietor of the effortlessly sweet, selectly packed Italian restaurant, Tom's Bistro. People come up to me and they say things like, Tom, given all that you've accomplished, is it hard to stay humble? And I say, not for me. I'm pretty amazing at being humble. But, enough about me. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Party's Man of the Year 2017, Mr. Ben White. Thank you. Thanks. Um, and thank you to Tom for the moving tribute to you. Here it is, Proverbs 177. Arrogant lips are unsuited to a fool. Now, there's a couple different ways we interact in such a way that we elevate ourselves or we devalue others. And the Bible uses a one term. We mentioned this last week when we were talking about the tongue. And it uses the, the word being a mocker. Th- that word has to do with finding fault or something to devalue in someone else and articulating it either to them or, to, or about them. And so th- that gets associated with pride. Proverbs 21, 24 says, The proud and arrogant man, mocker is his name. He behaves with overweening pride. You know, the Proverbs use that word 21 different times, saying watch out for m- somebody who mocks, somebody who devalues somebody. Any v- uh, verbal devaluing of, of another person is coming out of the heart of pride and and especially this arrogance part of us. This, the the other phrase that gets used often is is one is is the word boasting. And you just heard an example of that. Here's um Proverbs twenty five fourteen. It's like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of gifts he does not have. And then it says in verse twenty seven of that chapter, it's not good to eat too much honey. Okay, take your word for it. Nor, this is the main point, is it honorable to seek one's own honor? And, the, and the, the poetry there is saying, you know, if you eat too much of something and it just gets, it, gets you sick and bloaty and you feel lousy, that's what tends to happen when you seek your own honor. Proverbs 27, 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. This uh, verbally eva- uh, elevating of, our, of ourselves. It happens through name dropping. It, It happens through mentioning the things you have done or the things you can do or the things you will do. It's it's a steering of the focus back onto ourselves. I have got a relative. She's from the Italian proud Bernardo side. She's an elderly woman now. And anybody who meets her, we have this little joke. That within 15 minutes of being with her, you will find out that she skipped two grades in school growing up. And she started and she attended an Ivy League school, and she started it when she was 16 years old. Doesn't matter what the topic is, doesn't matter how much she knows you, you will know that within 15 minutes. If she ever comes here to visit, I will deny I told you this. But if you meet her, you will know that within the first 15 minutes. You will find out how fantastic her children are and how they treat her you will find out about how good her life has been how educated she's been and all the places she's been how many languages she can speak do you ever wonder why when you're at christmas parties or you're hanging out with somebody at lunch or you're meeting somebody new 
that the same facts and stories about yourself tend to come out. Who you know, where you've been, what you've accomplished. Do you ever notice how, for some of us, the conversation keeps coming back uh, to you? Do you sit in cell group and somebody's opening their heart and the next thing you know, they're talking about you and your situation. How did that happen? I've said this before, but my wife, who is probably the sharpest and best instrument in my life from God to deal with my pride, she has said to me on more than one occasion, like we'll talk, I'll tell her something somebody said, and she'll say, oh, did you tell your story about that? And I go, what do you mean did I tell my story about that? And she says, well, anytime anybody brings up that particular topic, you always bring up your story about that. And honestly, I don't think there's been a time when she's been wrong. I go, well, it came up, but it was because they asked me about it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And then we can go to another subject. And she knows every story that I've got for every topic that tends to bring the focus back on the me monster. Can you relate? What the Bible says, that is coming out of a place in our hearts that's called arrogance. And it's pride exhibiting in the way we act or we speak. Again, so much more we can say about that, but I want to get to the positive stuff. So, the third one. You got haughtiness, arrogance, and then there's stubbornness. Also, unteachableness. And this is pride that is exhibited in the way we respond to things, the way we, we react to things, especially to, to possibilities of us being inadequate or wrong. It's an unwillingness to admit or acknowledge that we are wrong or that we have need or that we have weakness. And the, and the Proverbs are going to always say this. Look, it, it, Solomon says it to his son, but his sons are his spiritual sons, and basically it's his hearer. says, so son, listen, you've got to heed something. You've got to learn to pay attention. You've got to learn to understand and embrace instruction. That's how wisdom is attained. So he says that over and over again. But listen, here, look at a couple of these in Proverbs 13.1. A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a mocker, there's bringing it in again, does not listen to rebuke. Pride, verse 10 says, only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who do something. They receive advice. They, they, they are willing to open themselves to scrutiny and correction and admission. Proverbs 19.10 says, listen to advice and accept instruction. And in the end, you'll be wise. And then it just comes out and says this. Okay, look, if you're in this category, if your pride shows up itself because you just don't, you have trouble admitting wrong, you have trouble acknowledging what you, you have need in your life, you don't want people correcting you, you you've always got an explanation or, or an excuse for it. Here's what the, the proverb says about that, 12.1. Whoever loves discipline, they love knowledge, but he who hates correction, okay, is stupid. All right, uh, sorry, there's just no other way to put it. It's just stupid. I didn't say it that way, God said it that way. There are those, some of us who always have an excuse or an explanation or conditions or something that went wrong that isn't our fault when things have, haven't gone right. We laugh things off or we shrug it off or we excuse it off. And we kind of have this mentality that says, oh, look, I know what I'm doing. How often do we just say, I'm sorry? How often do we initiate saying, you know what? 
That's my problem. That's my fault. You know what? I was out of line. My tone, my actions, what I said to you, what I did, that was, that was on me. The Bible has another phrase, very gr- a graphic phrase for this through the, all, all the Old Testament. It calls it being stiff-necked, where you brace and you stiffen yourself and you say, nothing's going to get me to bow. But, but it's very, very, you're going to see a little later what God says about being stiff-necked. We need to remember what the Proverbs says about the mentality that says, I know what I'm doing. I'm smart. I got this figured out. I don't need anybody's help. I don't need, I don't need to tell anybody this. And, and, and where we don't admit wrong. When we think our way is right, this is what it says about it's in Proverbs 12, 15. The way of the fool seems right to him. But a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 21, 2 says, all a man's ways seem right to him. Right? Isn't that right? That's true. But see, God isn't looking at, at, at how confident we are. Or how competent we are. Because he's looking at our heart. He knows we're a mess. He knows what our motives are. He knows how manipulative we are. How self-protective we are. The Lord weighs the heart. And so it calls on us many, many times, Proverbs 3, 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Verse 26, 12, do you see a man who's wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than him. You know what, what it says about those who, of us who do that? Verse, uh, chapter 30, verse 12 and 13. There are those who are pure in their own eyes, but yet they're not cleansed of their filth. Those whose eyes are ever so haughty, whose glances are so disdainful. So we got this, this thing that's going on with us. We, got the, we carry around this disease. It has to do with how we view ourselves, how we protect ourselves. And so, some of, so it comes out in haughtiness, in arrogance, in stubbornness. Okay, and let me just pause here before we go on and ask you, can I just ask permission to ask you a couple questions about that? Which of those shows up most commonly in you? I'm not asking you if they do. I'm just asking which one shows up most commonly. It'd be a great question for our cell groups this week. Haughtiness, arrogance, stubbornness, which one is your favorite? Well, it's like the walking dead, right? We're all infected. It's just a matter of time. And all are strains of the same disease. And here's a question. Are you willing, ask this of myself, are we willing to look in the mirror of what God says and ask ourselves questions like, why do I have such a hard time admitting wrong? Why do I feel such an aversion to certain groups? Or certain individuals? Why do my accomplishments keep coming up in certain settings? Why do I have this pattern of relationships kind of ending and not going further when I have conflict with people? Why is it that my acerbic wit is the life of all the Christmas parties? Why, Why is that my calling card on things? Pride is the weed that grows up and emerges from the seeds of insecurity and fear in the soil of our self. Isn't it ironic that pride comes out as if we think we're, we have a lot to offer, but the source of it is really insecurity and fear. We wonder what would happen if we don't establish the fact that I know what I'm doing, that I'm okay, if, I got, if that happened, I would be shamed somehow. I would be embarrassed. 
And so God, here's what God's going to do. God's going to step in. He's going, all right, you got this disease you're carrying. Now, I designed you for something better. Let's talk about how you get there. He's going to introduce the other end of the spectrum, moving, moving us toward humility, which is a, a genuine and accurate view of self. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. So it's, it's, not, it's, it's not just a self-deprecating thing. There's, it's an accurate and genuine view of self which results in a freedom to celebrate and elevate others. Now watch the ex- extremes to which God will go when he describes dealing with how he views and what he does about seeing pride in us. Okay, you're in chapter 6 again. Look at 16 and 17. It, just looking for that verse in 16. There are six things the Lord hates. That is a strong word. If you look at the Hebrew for that word, it means he is so dead set against that he will take action to eliminate it. He hates it. There are certain ways God feels. And when, he, and when he talks about pride, he says, when I see it, I hate it. It says in Proverbs 8, 13, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. God says, I hate pride and arrogance. This word, a different word gets used in Proverbs 16, 5. It gets translated this. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. Woo, I mean, now we're getting heavy. He's like, okay, he gets worked up about this. He, he, there's a reason why this is so important to him that he feels this. Why, why would that be? Well, part of the reason is that he is, he is a jealous God because here's what pride does. It usurps the place that he, he, he is designed to have in our lives. It, it, it usurps his position, his proper position. Here's, here's Proverbs 8. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. God, this is an extension of what we just saw. I hate pride and arrogance. Now look, evil behavior and perverse speech. Here's why. Because counsel and sound judgment are mine, God says. I have understanding and power. It's by me kings reign and rulers make laws that are just. By me, by my, uh, by me princes govern and all nobles who rule the earth. When we, when we exhibit pride, there's a shift for God's proper place as the one who is the supplier of what makes us valuable. It's not just that, though. Pride kills stuff. God says, look, pride will kill things. Proverbs 13, 10 says, pride only breeds quarrels. 22, 10 says, drive out the mocker and out goes strife. Quarrels and insults are are ended. It blocks us from, from healthy relationships with other people. If you walk around manifesting pride, it's going to diminish the degree to which your heart connects with other people. There are some of us who, if we just really want to look in the mirror, we've got to say, why is it that no one really wants to be around us? Why is it I have so few people who seem to kind of seek me out? Is there something coming out of me that affects them? Well, this is what Proverbs says about it, Proverbs 26, 20. That men detest somebody who mocks. They may laugh out loud, but they kind of detest the person at their core. Mockers stir up a city, that phrase gets used. And so God feels this very strongly, but he also has strong words for what he does about it. And this is where it gets my attention. I hope it'll get yours. Because this is what I believe about God. He loves me. He's for me. He's he's blessed me. He is a good, good God. He is a God who gives good gifts. He's a God who moves in my life, and through my my life, he, he will work all things together for good for those who love him. Okay, that's all true. As part of that love canopy that he has in us, 
He is ready to do significant action when he sees pride in us. And so his action uses words like this. The Lord tears down the proud man's house. Wait a minute, I thought he loved me. And he does. But that's so important that he deals with that in your life, that he will tear down your house. Is that, is he talking figuratively or is he talking physically? Maybe sometimes both. God, this is what he does. When people are proud mockers, this is what he does. He mocks them. Well, that doesn't seem very nice. I'm going to suggest to you that God loves us so much. He loves us that he will go to work to thwart us. He will oppose. There's, sometimes you talk to people and they go, you know, it just feels like God's out to get me. Does it feel like God, just God's out to get me? You ever, you ever feel that way? Okay, and we go, no, no, God's not out to get you. God, he's, he's a good God. He'll do good things in your life. You know what? Sometimes he's out to get you. When he sees pride, this is what he says. I'm out to get you on this. This is... This is what James 4, James 4 is kind of a quotation from um, Proverbs, where it says, that is why the scripture says, God actively opposes, that's the word opposes there. He's active, he's initiating, he's, fine, he's sitting up at night thinking of ways to oppose proud, pride. But he gives grace to the humble. So, so if, you are, if you and I are harboring pride in any form in us, here's what we need to know. When we do that, we're fighting against the Almighty God. I don't want to be fighting against Almighty God. I'm going to go one direction, and he's going to f- push everything the other direction in my life. I don't like that. I don't like the, my odds, if that's the case. He, he is in, we are inviting God's countermeasures. He, he, he uses this extreme language to kind of say, look, Get this, I'm going to go out of my way to make your path hard so that we can deal with this disease, so we can do something about it because it is, because I love you so much. I don't want this to kill you. Can you recognize any times recently where it might just be that the path of your life has turned hard and difficult and struggled? And maybe it might just be that God has been actively thwarting your path because of what he's trying to get out of your soul. Because of his love for you. There is a warning to the stubborn. Okay, remember stubbornness? A man, this is Proverbs 29, a man who remains stiff-necked, there's that phrase, after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. That's a, that's a, a stiff caution. It's not what God wants to do in our lives, but he is so committed to dealing with this area of us that he will do stuff. And so we have a choice. Our our choice is to um, decide whether we're going to participate in his move from this pole to this pole or, or whether we're not. So if you either come kicking and screaming or you come willingly, but God's gonna work in your life to invest humility in you. Again, remember this. It's because he cares because it's because it costs us not to do that. There's a story about a U.S. Air Force transport plane back in the 50s, and it's cap- it had a captain and five crew members. It was flying over Alaska. They encountered this unusually fierce snowstorm, and the navigator contacted an airbase. And he was told that he had he had veered several hundred miles off course. So they sent him correct coordinates. But the navigator insisted he was too good for that. 
He, his, they must be wrong because his calculations could not be that far off. And so he continued on what he knew in his own mind was the proper course. The plane eventually ran la- low on gas. It ran out of gas. The, the, uh, the men had to abandon the plane and they had to parachute out. But because they were so far off course, in minus 70 degree temperatures and 50 mile an hour winds, every last one of them was fr- froze to death before help could get to them. My pride kills things. It kills my path. It kills my relationship. It kills my soul. Yours does too. So God says, Let's, I'm gonna, we're going to do radical surgery. I will oppose the path of you to draw you to this alternative. And the alternative is humility, which again is a genuine and accurate view of self, resulting in freedom to celebrate and elevate others. And so we have this choice. Humble ourselves or be humbled. And there's a couple ways that, ha- so you say, okay, well, how? Do I just go, okay, now I'm humble? That, how, how, how do you, do you just, let's all say we're going to be humble, okay. No, God's got practical ways that we, that we see humility displace pride in our lives. And it has to do with how repositioning ourselves in a couple ways. It always starts with this. It starts with a repositioning, a proper repositioning toward God himself. Our pride might feel like it's related to other people, but our pride always will come down to first our position with God. So proper repositioning of ourself. C.S. Lewis did say this. He said, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. So there's a proper repositioning of ourselves. So we have to, with God, we have to say, okay, I need to, I need to do something with you that's going to result in me being humble. But it's difficult because like the old hymn says, oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. Come on, that is a country song. I threw you a bone, country, you country lovers. Second line says, I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. I like that song. What was I talking about? Okay. God establishes something that happens when we properly reposition ourselves with him. And I need, you need to hear this. There are a whole lot of us who acknowledge there's a God, who think about God. You might just sang songs about God or to God. But when was, for a whole lot of us, we can't think of the last time we actually came face to face consciously and did business with our God. That's what he's going to call on us to do. That's what I'm going to invite you and myself to do. Properly reposition ourselves with the true God. The, The Proverbs call this having the fear of the Lord. Not just I tremble because he's out there and he might get me. But it is a reverential encounter that takes my proper place and recognizes some things that are true when I do that. Proverbs 15.33 says, The fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom, and then it ties us in with it. The fear of the Lord comes in with humility coming before honor. 22.4 uses those two words again. Humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life. What, how do you do that? It's recognizing a truth that says, when I come into the presence of the God who made me and loves me, there's a couple things that I, if I reposition, I will remember that are true. And one of those is, I have utter lostness in front of him. 
I have utter dependence. I have utter guilt. I have an utter inability to make anything acceptable about myself. I, have, I bring nothing to the table. So I'm utterly dependent on him. I'm utterly in need in front of him. I'm utterly asked to be submissive to him. See, God has us in a chokehold. It's just a matter of whether we want to tap out or not. That encounter with him says it's time to tap out. And you know where that happens? It happens at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. An encounter with Jesus Christ who says, this represents your inability to do anything to make your life worthwhile, to redeem it, to clean it, to pay for your sin. But there's an offer being made to you free of charge just because there's a God who loves you. In order for that to happen, the word repentance gets used to come and acknowledge my rightful needy position there are some of us in the room who are so proud that we just can't make ourselves do that we're glad to worship the baby jesus at christmas six pound eight inch baby jesus we'll pray to him because he's unassuming and he's nice and he's bringing peace on earth and goodwill to men yeah but what did he really come to do he came to bring the sword jesus said he came to show us that there's a division that needs to happen in our lives he's he came to show us how desperately hopeless we are, but how great it is that a God loves us anyway. For some of us, literally coming in our souls to the awareness of the cross of Jesus is where humility starts. When was the last time that happened for you? Say, oh no, I became a Christian back. No, I'm not. I'm talking about an encounter with the risen Jesus that says, right now I'm acknowledging that what's true is I am utterly dependent. I have nothing to offer. And then, along with that, comes an acceptance of something. An acceptance of a worth. And a a standing and a value that gets put on you, apart from your being good, or earning it, or proving yourself. Where you don't have to read your resume to God. Where he simply says, now I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you a standing that is the height of all the created beings I've made. That you are are more valued than the angels themselves because you're an image bearer of God. That uh, the whole created universe, you have been chosen to, to be given life, to be given sonship or daughtership. So that when you look at yourself, it is not because of something you do, it's because you got chosen to be royalty, adopted into royalty. Would you just look around the room and just find somebody who you don't know and just look at them. Just, just make eye, you don't have to make eye contact. Just pick somebody out. Okay, got, see that person? Might be good to go up and say hello to them afterwards. Just pick somebody. Do you know that that person, that, that soul that you just made contact with, that soul has been elevated by their God to the place of the highest created order in the universe. God is more interested in what happens to that person you're looking at than what happens to the seas and the mountains and the planets combined. That God's value has been placed on them and has nothing to do with where they live or what they've learned or what they do. It is simply because he created them and gave them his image. He loves them so much that he was willing to come to earth himself on the rescue mission for them. That person, who did you look at? That person has value. That person is to be respected and honored and esteemed because of what God has done for them and in them. 
that this encounter, this proper repositioning toward God has that effect on us. And so James 4 says, this is, I, I believe that this is what he's talking about here. When, it, when in James 4, it says, here's what we should do. We should grieve and we should mourn and we should wail. We should change our laughter to mourning and our joy to gloom. He's not talking about being downers. He's talking about change the positioning of what the source of your joy is. Understand that, that the things that, that you're trying to chase to make you happy that, or to give you value, those d- leave them, turn away from them, realize your needy position in front of God. And then that's what it means when it says humble yourself before the Lord. And look what he does. He lifts you up. He elevates your standing and your value. It's a different source for it in our hearts. So there's a proper positioning toward God. And then what follows is a proper repositioning toward other people. It's a change of mind and an act of the will resulting in altered behavior. Now, if you look at Proverbs 6, there's this little example that gets first used in the, the first five verses there. And it has to do with somebody who makes a mistake around other people. So this could be a stubborn person. And it says, my son, if you've put up security for your neighbor, if you've struck hands in a pledge for another, but if you've been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth, do th- then do this, my son, to, to free yourself since you've fallen into your neighbor's hands. So in other words, you find yourself in a position where you, it, your image isn't working so good. And now you can decide, am I going to be proud about this? Am I going to try to spin it? Am I going to try to cover for myself? Am I going to be stiff-necked? Here's what it says. Here's what you do. Go, this is middle of verse 3, humble yourself and press your plea with your neighbor and allow no sleep for your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. The principle that's there is the way we then move toward other people is we don't go to protect or elevate ourselves. We initiate that which shows that we are needy, that we're wrong sometimes, that we fail initiate that and he says he uses the word there says and you will free yourself so many of the things i'm looking for to make myself feel free actually happen when i acknowledge my weakness so he says don't esteem yourself more highly than you should have this is the new testament philippians 2 13 do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit but in humility consider change the way we look and treat others as more important as better than yourselves Romans 12, 3 says, For by the grace given me, I say to you, to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Goes on to say in Romans 12, 16, Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. There's attitudes and then there's actions. You ever find yourself, like, have you ever been around a celebrity? Like you have an elevator somewhere or an airport or something, and you see a celebrity and you go, There's a celebrity. And some of us get starry eyed and we go, oh, Wow. What do you say? Like, do you go up and go, hey, remember when you were in the Beatles? <laughs> that was awesome, that kind of thing. You know, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. Why do we get starry-eyed? Well, because there's something in us that says that they are special, different, elevated. God says, well, if you get our rightful position first in front of him, what that'll do is it'll elevate everybody else in your eyes so that everybody you meet is worthy of being treated like they're special, above ourselves. And the way we do that is 
is in our associations and our, and our context. Be willing to associate with people who may positionally be in some places perceived different than you or lower than you. Make contact with someone and make someone else the star. Here's your assignment this week in cell group. Make someone in your cell group, someone else, the star this week. Celebrate them. Ask them questions. Pursue them. Talk about what's going on in their lives. Speak God's truth and grace into their lives. Make them the star. This is how Proverbs put it. 27.2. Let another praise you, not your own mouth. Someone else and not your own lips. I am a master at getting you to ask me questions so I can't help but answer in ways that make me look good. I'll just tell you right now. I do it without thinking. I can manipulate situations so that, I, so that something gets mentioned that you feel a little bit better about me and God says, let's pull, the root, pull it out by the roots. Understand what your position is with me and then turn around and elevate other people. When we do that, when we engage humility, we move that direction. Here's the, the almost ironic thing about it. God says, you know, a lot of times when we're building ourselves up, it's because we want to feel superior. We want to get somewhere. We want to have honor, right? We want to feel something. Or maybe it gets us further. And here's what, what God says about that. When we engage humility, he grants doses of something, not because we've deserved it or earned it. He just gives it as a byproduct of humility. Proverbs 20, 29, 23. A man's pride brings him low. But a man of lowly spirit, look what he gets. He gains honor. Isn't that interesting? The very thing I'm trying to preserve for myself comes through humility. Humility, Proverbs 18, 12 says, comes before honor. Proverbs 11, 2 says, with humility comes wisdom. I'm perceived to, I want to be perceived to be smart, but God says, yeah, but if you, if, when you humble yourself, you're actually going to grow in wisdom. Here's another byproduct, Proverbs 3.34. He gives grace to those who are humble. And he just puts them all together in Proverbs 22.4. Humility and the fear of the Lord. Remember that repositioning? Here's, you know what can come? It brings wealth and honor and life. Some of us. Some of us in the room would really, really do well. You know you may not come in today thinking this needs to happen, but we would really, it's, it, we are overdue to have a personal, direct encounter with Jesus. To come to the cross and reposition ourselves with our God in a way that says, I need to acknowledge that nothing that I have means anything. It doesn't accomplish anything. Any worth I have comes from you. The gift of eternal life only comes from me. Some of us in the room have never had that initial encounter where our sins have been cleansed by faith, by simply receiving what he gives. That's where it starts. Some of us in the room need that. Some of us in the, in the room, we need to make a phone call. There's somebody who you've seen your relationship diminish with and it, it's, it would be humbling for you to initiate because you know they're far more at fault than you are, right? You know that. And yet, you esteem them enough to say, I want to own what I've done. I want to initiate the fact that I need to humble myself and tell you, I'm sorry. I need to ask for forgiveness. Some of us need to allow ourselves to admit that the tone we use in a certain place 
the language we've used with somebody who's important to us, whatever it might be, has been diminishing to them. And to reset that course so that what comes out of our mouths and what, co- what happens through our heads and what comes out of our hearts is something that elevates them because of their standing with God. Some of us need to just stop blowing our own horn and see if anybody else will pick it up. And then we come face to face with the God of the cross and he does something within us that begins to kind of do chemotherapy on the pride germ. Begins to diminish and kill its effect. And in its place, a humility arises that acknowledges where I, where I stand with God and the freedom that comes with saying, no one can take away from me the fact that I have been stamped with the name of the Son of God forever and ever. I get to be in His presence I am loved forever. I'm held in his grip. I'm committed to by the most high God. There is no better place to be. There's no higher place to be than that. And the people I'm looking at right now, and the people around me have got, been given the same gift. We can be free with each other. We can celebrate it together. We pause and we say, God, I'm going to start with you. I'm going to remember what you've done. I'm going to let it shape me. Would you pray with me?